This is the Mindful Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Vic. Excited that you're here. This podcast is all about diving deep into the mind and understanding this experiment or this game we call life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The biggest battle we will ever have to face is the battle between you and you. It's the battle of taking your mind to that limit and then breaking through. On the Mindful Experiment podcast, we will share concepts, universal laws, and interviewing individuals who have done just that, who have gone through the dark times and through those moments, allowed their light to shine bright. I'm your host, Dr. Vic Manzo, and I want to thank you for listening to the podcast and taking this journey with me as we discover different avenues to break through those limits, expand your reality, and evolve into the person you desire to be. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. This show is sponsored by Empower Your Reality. Empower Your Reality is an online consciousness school that is designed to help you elevate the mind, raise your consciousness, your vibration, to attract and create the reality of what it is that you desire. On Empower, Empower Your Reality, we have books, we have online classes, you can find the podcast here on there, and other things that can help you elevate and truly learn the art and the science of creating the reality of what it is that you want to experience in your life. So for more information to check out all that we're up to and what we're doing, please visit www.empoweryourreality.com. Now, back to the show. What up, guys? This is Dr. Vic, and you're listening to another episode here on the Mikeful Experiment, as this week is our 
second episode we do where we interview someone every Friday to share a concept, an idea, something to help you level up in life and just give you another aspect to the game of life. And in this episode, man, that I have a lot of fun um, with Dr. Aziz. He, we had such a blast being on the show. We talked about so many different things. Um, it was He's a wealth of knowledge and I really had a blast. I mean, he talks about something that it took me a lot of time to build up myself, which is confidence, and to really have that centeredness and 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 true confidence radiate off me. And we, I've read, I've actually read uh, one of his books that I, I've read. I have is called Not Nice, and I thought it was uh, it was kind of cool to have him on. And I've I've read his work, and so I was excited to um, dive deep with him. And we went deep, so I highly recommend getting a pen and paper for this. But before I go ahead and uh, share all the wonderfulness of Dr. Aziz, um, let me share a little bit of his, 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 who, he, who he is. So Dr. Aziz is a clinical psychologist and the, one of the world's leading confidence experts. He teaches people how to rapidly learn confidence so they can eliminate social anxiety and self-doubt, master conversations, accelerate in their careers, and create deeply fulfilling relationships. After struggling with crippling shyness and social anxiety personally for over a decade, Dr. Aziz became, a determined, uh, became determined to find a way to, to freedom. Through thousands of hours of his own training, counseling, reading, group work, and coaching, he has truly mastered what it takes to transform fear and self-doubt into permanent self-worth and confidence. Dr. Aziz completed his doctoral training at Stanford and Palo Alto Universities and is the founder of the Center for Social Confidence. He is known for his dynamic speaking, humor, disarming vulnerability, and inspiring storytelling. He has a large online following with his podcast and YouTube videos and is the author of the four best-selling books, including the most popular, Not Nice. Guys, check this out. Let me know what you think. I know I had a blast. I know you will too. Here is Dr. Aziz. Dr. Aziz, welcome to the show, my friend. Oh, thank you for having me, Dr. Vic. I'm excited to be here. I can't wait to read some of your books. I love the books you've written. I, I think it's very critical uh, in many different ways when it comes to confidence. And, you know, I love how you have this, the book called Not Nice and things like that. So um, this is something I wish I had when I was younger because I was taught to be a people pleaser. And, you know, you just have to be nice. You got to be a certain way and that's it. And it's like, why can't I just be me and be accepted? So uh, this resonates really deep to my heart. So I'm very excited to pick your brain on a lot of these things. Yeah, I think you and so many of us have that same experience and um, learned to be a certain way, nice, fit in, please people at the expense of our own self and realness and authenticity. Yeah, and, it, and, it, and it, it, it takes a lot away from an individual. And I know you know this very well, where it's like the more you keep doing that, like for me, it was like just chipping away less of more, less mm -hmm. of who I am. And mm -hmm creates a lot of that frustration. Inner, inner, inner critic really fires, um, but I digress. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to you know dive in. And one of the, as the listeners know, whenever I have an interviewer come on, I, I always want to know a little bit about your story because when I created this podcast, it was all about hearing the stories of others and understanding that it wasn't a one-way street. It could be. Um, I've had a couple people close to that, uh, but most of the time, it's like I call it the pinball effect where we bounce around until we find what it is we really are just destined or choose to do in that way. What's your story? How did you get into what you're doing? Yeah, I love that. The pinball. That's a great image. And I really do think that there's that, uh, you know, very, for very few people, it's a, it's a straight line. And it is really a process of discovery through trial and error and elimination and what doesn't work. But I think for me, 
a through line and where I got to, how I got to here um, has actually been started from my own pain and my own struggle. And I think that's that's common for a lot of people that are in helping professions or you know want to contribute in the world is they they're they're sensitized in some way, whether it's from their family or their own personal experience. And so, you know, I teach around confidence. I help liberate people from social anxiety and people pleasing. And well, why am I so obsessed with that and passionate about that? It's because I lived it uh, for many years. So I experienced uh, social anxiety really started to kick into full gear for me when I was about 11. And that's pretty typical. People go to, you know, what's called middle school in the United States. Depends on, um, there's similar, but around that age, uh, all over the world, 11, 12. And, uh, there, there's this kind of growing self-consciousness comparison. Do I fit in? Am I enough? And somehow, you know, the right circumstance, the right self-perception, the right stories, and it can lock in this, this sense of uh, separateness and inferiority. And so that started for me at that age. And then it just, once that's locked in, you just kind of carry that identity everywhere you go. So then I brought it to high school and, you know, that starts to affect my social life, my dating. I didn't really date. I was too scared to um, ask women out or put myself out there. Rejection felt intolerable, felt shameful. So I really kept it very small. My life was very downsized in that way. And that progressed, you know, I get into my, I got to about, uh, well, when I had the story is like, when I get to college, it's all going to change. And wherever you go, there you are. So it didn't significantly change. And it wasn't until I was uh, uh, in my last year about to graduate from college. And I had this awareness that this is the life path that I'm on and this is not going to get any better. This isn't going to somehow the circumstances were going to radically change my experience. That's what I thought. That's what I told myself. And I think we often tell ourselves that, well, I changed jobs. Well, if I change locations, well, if I change this, uh, and often the change has got to be an inner experience. And I, and I believe that confidence, especially as an inside job, I didn't know any of that. All I knew is that I was lonely. I wanted a girlfriend. I felt inferior. And, you know, the, the threshold moment was that I worked up the courage to ask a woman out, which I did once every six to 12 months. And uh, this woman had said, yes, we went on one date and then she didn't want anything to do with me because I didn't know this at the time, but I was battling uh, the two headed dragon of social anxiety, which is like, oh, I'm not enough and people aren't going to like me. And so it makes you more inhibited and restricted. But then I was also battling the other form, which is people-pleasing, excessive niceness. It's just another strategy to try to get people to like us. So if I did ask her out, which I, which I was able to pull off, then I get on the date and I think I'm being myself. I think I'm being me, but I'm being this very vanilla, bland, nice, pleasing version of me. And it's so familiar. It's so much that I think that this is who I am, that I, that I operate that way. And, you know, like things and many things in life, um, people pleasing and niceness might, might uh, keep you in relationship with somebody, but it usually doesn't attract people. It's not charged. It's not dynamic. It's not leadership. It's not sexy. It's just kind of, oh yeah, you're, you're, you're here too. So it wasn't enough. And uh, so she, she says no. And I was just crushed because I thought, man, I, I had the courage. I asked her out. She said, yes, let me go on a date. And then she doesn't want to hang out with me. Like, how can I get more evidence that I'm unwantable? I'm a loser. And so I came home. I was totally devastated. And I, my apartment was empty. And I had a roommate, but he was, he was gone. So there's dull dark. So I go and I just did what I did every day. I played a lot of video games. I would smoke pot. I was just pretty um, 
uh, downsized and almost numbed out in my life. And so I get my bowl of pasta and I'm going to go into my room to play a video game. And then I hear the sound of voices in the apartment. And it turns out my roommate was home. He was in his bedroom with his girlfriend. And I just hear, I heard his voice talking. I couldn't make out what they were saying, but I just heard the voice. And then I heard her laughing and it just sounded like they were connecting and having fun. And I felt this like wave of pain and inferiority and I'm never going to have that. and I'm not enough, but it was grace in that moment because that's, I didn't know it at the time, but I now call that a threshold moment where the pain gets so frustrating, gets so bad. It gets so intolerable. I mean, I've been tolerating it for a decade, but it got intolerable that night. And I closed out the video. I was going to open the video game and I closed it out. And I was like, I just almost felt the next, you know, I was 21 years old, the next 50 years of my life and, and what they could go like if I didn't change. And all of a sudden, and this is a great quote um, I learned from um, uh, Lisa Rankin, uh, who wrote Mind Over Medicine. She said, when the, when the pain of staying where you are exceeds the fear of taking the risk, then you'll leap. And that's exactly what happened to me. So I just, everything, I mean, everything shifted in that moment. It wasn't a dramatic, the next day I was transformed, but it was like a new direction. And so I started to look online for like, how do I, well, to be honest, how do I get a girlfriend? You know, but that soon led me to like personal development and, you know, how, how to be more confident and, and um, wow, it just blew my mind that, that like the thoughts I thought about myself could be changed. The stories I told myself about what I was capable of or not were not true necessarily. Um, that, that the way that people might perceive me is not fixed. That my appearance wasn't a death sentence because I used to think I was very ugly and unattractive. Like all of these things started to change. And of course, the real change comes though when you take in those ideas and then you take action. And I was desperate. I was hungry. I was fed up. And so I just started to do whatever I read. Like, go talk to people in this way. Go, you know, say hi to strangers. Go, you know, interact with women. And I was utterly terrified, terrified to do it. But the pain of staying where I was for another 30, 40, 50, 60 years, well, that's nothing uh, compared to a little bit of rejection possibility. So I got out there. I started to experience shifts in my confidence and experience that it's possible to change connected uh, even got into my first relationship and um you know for some that might be the end like oh I, I got what i wanted for me it was just the beginning because i got obsessed i was like wait a minute so you can challenge your fear and grow and feel more powerful feel more confident and then you know get results in your life so i became obsessed i started studying like crazy it actually led me to go um go pursue a clinical psychology degree um, and then somewhere in there, I discovered Tony Robbins, you know, who's the kingpin of this kind of stuff. And so I just, it just took off from there. And so the last, um, you know, 17 years, uh, it hasn't slowed down. In fact, it's only accelerated my obsession with it somewhere in there. It became more obsessed with like, okay, how, not just how do I get confidence, but how do I teach people? Uh, how do we, what are the sticking points? What, where is this blocking people? And, and, and now my mission is, well, how do I help as many people as possible have that transformation to uh, the liberation uh, into their most free, bold, authentic selves. And how do I systematize that? How do we expand that? How do we make that formulaic? So if people do it, they get the results. And that's been my, uh, my passion and obsession for the last, you know, 17 years. 
I love that, brother. I love your story. There's so many great nuggets of life in there of what a lot of us go through in different ways. And, and you know, I, I I always say, you know, people make a change when they're sick and tired of being sick and tired, right? And yeah, you, you shared a great story. I've said some stuff like that to myself. It was a different story from a financial aspect, but it was like I hit rock bottom to what I thought was rock bottom. And I was like, I'm never going to go back to this pain again. I don't care what it takes. I don't care what happens. I am going, just like you, I got ruthless and started studying. Uh, I, I and, and how can I shift my life to learn finances and numbers? Because I grew up in a, from an environment that was very not that. And the ones who had money, they frowned upon them or said it's luck and all this other stuff. And I'm like, Mm-mm, there's got to be something different here. And so... Uh, I love that story. And also too, it's like, as you said, right, it's our pain. It's what what takes us and drives us to where we want to go. I I wouldn't be a chiropractor today if it wasn't um, chiropractic helping me with a lot of the fears that I had when it came to my health. And it Mm. gave me an answer to solve that. Um, So I, I, and, and I greatly, you know, just, just a lot of good coming out of this. And one of the things is too, when you, how do you start that journey then? Like, let's say you're, you, let's take yourself before back in the day, right? 17 minus, well, 18, whatever it is years ago. How do you, what's the step-by-step process to help an individual gain confidence? Because a lot of times, I mean, I've talked with friends and stuff and they'd be like, oh, you have confidence, look at you. And I'm just like, whoa, hold on here. I don't have confidence. I'm like, I, if you want me to share my fears, I will. I go, but I just have this inner thing where I just know that if I just continually put myself out there and do it, eventually it's going to all work out one way or another. How does an individual start to build and create confidence for themselves? Yeah, I love that question. And you're highlighting something in there, what you described is a confident belief, right? Like if I persist in this, I can get the results. So we could think of confidence as a, as a few different things. Um, but in its uh, simplest definition, it's like, you know, I can or I can't. Um, you know, I, I, can, I can get that. It's a belief in, it's confides me with faith. So it's like, I can, I can move forward with faith in a, in a project. There's sort of like the realm of like, effectiveness in the world confidence it's called self-efficacy like yes i can if i put my mind to it i can learn this i'm capable i can bet on myself there's another component to confidence that's like your relationship with yourself you know and this is more in the self-esteem realm so you know do i think i'm worthy or not do i think i'm lovable or not and these two work hand in hand right so you know if i don't think i'm very lovable then maybe i also don't think uh, i can make a relationship happen so these are the two uh, key pieces of confidence that I, I look at with people. And one extremely uh, liberating thing to realize, and it took me years to see this, and now I see it and then I saw it everywhere, which is we all have stories about ourselves, about what we're capable of. And for most of the time, most people think that story or just somehow perceive this, this is what I'm capable of and this is what I can do, and they believe it. And what they don't realize is that that story isn't truth. That story serves a function. And if our stories are negative, people aren't going to want to talk to me. I can't complete that. I can't change my career. I can't earn money in the world. I can't find love, whatever it is. That story isn't true. That story is actually purposeful. It is a part of inside of us that is in self-preservation mode, in survival mode. And it wants to keep us safe in life. I call it the safety police. And the safety police doesn't 
isn't focused on you, you know, finding love or thriving in life. It's focused on, you know, keeping you uh, alive and safe. And the safest thing to that part of us is a static life that doesn't change because change is uncertainty. Unknown is scary, but if I know it, it's familiar. And that's why, you know, people, you know, uh, they have to get sick and tired of being sick and tired. A lot of people are sick and tired, but they, you know, it's familiar. And so we want to start to really question those stories. So it says, oh, I can never earn money or I'm, I'm not, you know, I can't save the money that I get or something. It's like, well, hold on a second. What is that story steering me towards? And across the board, any of these negative stories, if you look at what they're steering us towards, it's steering us towards a life where we don't try to earn more, where we don't invest, where we don't take risks, where we don't put our heart out there, where we don't take a, take a crack at life. And so seeing that is incredibly powerful because then you're like, well, hmm. I wonder if that story is not true and it's just there to keep me from taking a risk. What happens if I start to take risks? And to answer that question really directly, if someone's like, well, how do I start building the confidence? The, the, the first and foremost thing is going to be to take, start to take more risks and in the, in the arenas that, that, that you want to grow in. And uh, more risks doesn't mean insane, you know, throw yourself out there, overwhelm yourself. I'm a huge fan of gradual exposure. That means you start very small. Think like, you know, you go to the gym and you start lifting a five pound weight and then you add on to that when you get stronger. Think that slow, gradual build day in, day out. And that is what I've seen. Some people will hear that and be like, okay, oh, I tried it. I spoke up in that meeting. Eh, I don't know. went okay, whatever that's not going to change anything. It's got to be like, I'm going to, like the people that really grow in confidence that I help over time, they make it a practice to look for that opportunity to speak up. For example, you know, anytime they're in a meeting, they, they take it on as like a, a gym in a way. And so uh, the simplest way to put this is chi- uh, confidence is a byproduct of action. And even more specifically, confidence is a byproduct of recent action. It's like being in shape. You know, if you ran six months ago, eh, but if you ran couple days ago, you're probably in much better shape. So we want to build that systematically over time. That's the, that's the doing part. I call it do what scares you. There's one other piece, which I'll just mention and want we can unpack that more, which is as we're doing it, we also want to be, uh, become more aware of uh, how we're talking to ourselves, uh, the inner coach inside of our head, the pattern uh, that we run. Because a lot of people will do it. And then as they're doing it, they're saying, oh, you're a loser. You look awkward. You're doing this wrong, uh, you know, or after, after a conversation or a date or a presentation, you know, that, that nitpicking part just comes back and says, well, you did that wrong and you could have done that better. And, and so now all that confidence that we could gain from that action gets, gets dripped away by that critic. And by the end, we actually feel worse or neutral. And again, that's by design because guess whose team the critic is on, that inner critic is on the safety police. It's trying to get you as small as possible, as safe as possible, as static as possible. I love that. I like how you call it the safety police. That's a good one. Um, this is good stuff here. I mean, I'm, I'm looking back here, everything you're sharing here, and it's, you know, when it comes to that, I'm going to go to that faith about when you're saying confidence is having that I can or I can't having that faith. Is it just, is it like, is that the same as, uh, faking it until you make it kind of a thing. Like, I don't feel like I have this, but I'm going to keep doing this anyhow. And I'm going to act like I do until it just becomes natural. That's a great question. I mean, I think, uh, 
there, there is a pers- there's a piece of that. There's a there's an energy of like a willingness to throw yourself into something before you have it all figured out. It's kind of the betting on yourself. And there is an element of of acting as if or faking it till you make it. What I find is that sometimes that can feel extremely temporary, unsustainable and energy draining for people. And so what I like to do is help them find the place inside of them where it's not faking. Um, Maybe it's unfamiliar, but it is still me. And so let me give you an example, a a practical example. Um, A lot of people that I work with, you know, around, whether it's in social experiences or dating or even at work, they find that there's a certain arena of their life where they're less authentic, they're less comfortably themselves. You know, they're a little bit more rigid or stiff or inhibited. And so instead of just faking it say, well, you know, pretend like you're relaxed. I say, well, let's look at this. Can you think of someone in your life that you feel completely relaxed with a friend, um, a partner, you know, even a pet, just like something where you just, you feel relaxed and usually people can think of somebody. And I say, great. How are you around that friend? Just think about it. And I get them really associated to it. Like how do they move in their body? How do they stand? Even how do they start the conversation? Do they make jokes? What kind of stuff do they talk about? And I really get them into that. And I say, okay, that is you when you are assuming approval. Because when you're with a good friend or someone you love or whatever, you know, yeah, you guys might have a fight here and there, but for the most part, you just assume this person approves of you. They generally accept you. And that's the energy that we want to bring when we meet someone new. And so you're not necessarily faking it. You're just taking the natural you and bringing that to a new environment. And that I think is one a key distinction that really helps it feel more sustainable and a little less effortful. I like that. That's cool. I've never been a fan of the fake it till you make it just because I just don't like the, the fakeness of it. But the way you explained that, I think that's really solid. That, that I like that works. That would work for me too. Because, Ooh, Ooh, let, let me just jump in here. Yeah. Because if you think about it, if you think about that, you know, how you are when you're around a good friend, Versus how you are when you're in front of that, you know, boardroom that you want to impress. And you were to take a step back and say, which one of those versions of you is, feels more real and more authentic? People would say, oh, the me when I'm relaxed. So in a sense, when you go to that boardroom and you try to present or posture in a certain way, that's actually the faking it. And so what we're saying is, hey, bring your real self. And of course, you might say something slightly different in the boardroom, but your energy would be very similar. Um, and you know, the, the part that, uh, I think that fake it or till you make it gives at least some benefit is it shows people that you need to consistently do something for it to become more familiar. And that's the part that I like about that. But I, I agree that if, if there's a fake quality to it, it's unsustainable, but if it's like, you know, persist until it becomes more familiar, it doesn't have the rhyming effect, but that's probably the more effective way to say it. I couldn't agree with you more on that one. Yeah, no, I totally like that. And it's it's true. It's like I learned from, you know, just from speaking, I would watch great speakers and I would be around them and get to know them and and some take on as mentors. And it was always interesting. The real good ones that like were really magnetic, they were the same all the time. Like it wasn't a, a facade or you know, I mean, verbiage, like you said, verbiage may be a little different. I know I do that if I'm talking to friends and my, my wife or something like that. I'm not going to do that if I'm presenting uh, in, a, in, a, in a group or something. I'll, I'll change words just a little bit. But other than that, it's the energy. But it was interesting to see them do that. And I was like, man, how do they do that? And he's like, just be you. Go up there mm-hmm. and have fun and, and just be you. That's all they would say. And I'm like, 
I don't know, but I'm worried about this, this, this. And they're like, no, just go have fun. Be you speak. And now, you know, you practice over time, you develop it. And you're like, yeah, now it's, it's all the same regardless. Uh, I love that. When it comes to, you mentioned stories, right? And I love, love stories. Uh, I, I've done podcast episodes where I talk about stories and the essence of how they make a framework to your life and so forth. You know, I, I put a question down here. Where do stories come from? I don't know if you mentioned, asked, you, you answered this or not, but I'm, I'm going to ask anyhow, um, you know, because I know they serve a purpose. And what's that purpose that the story sell? Like, where did it come from and from that story? Yeah, that's a great question. You mean stories about um, sort of ourselves and our yeah. lives? And yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that, well, there's probably multiple sources and it depends on if it's an empowering story or a disempowering story. Uh, you know, a lot of the, 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 the quote negative stories are ones that, that uh, disconnect us from who we are and what we're really capable of. Those generally come as conclusions about life from painful experiences. So, you know, I'm an 11 year old kid and I feel separate and I don't think I ever have the right clothes on. And then someone makes fun of me because I look different or my name's different. And I might, instead of in that moment, you know, thinking, wow, you know, that kid is feeling insecure and is attempting to bolster his own significance by making fun of me, right? You know, an 11 year old doesn't have that capacity or think even younger, you know, five years old, three years old, all these different experiences in our lives. What we conclude, what I conclude in that moment is, man, I'm different. I'm weird. My name is embarrassing. You know, I don't, I don't look good. I don't fit in. And so that's a, that's a conclusion. And that could be the kernel that creates a, a bigger story. And the thing about stories is they, they're, you said they're frameworks for our, our perception, right? So they're almost like shorthand ways to try to make sense of life because life is so multifaceted and so complex. And we also, you know, want to know how to function. You know, how do I make friends? How do I, you know, pursue a career? How do I grow in my company or whatever it is? So we want, we want to function. And so we kind of take all of the vastness that is life and distill it down into like a simple heuristic that we can follow. And so a simple heuristic might be like, I don't fit in. People don't like me. And now I know how to operate around people. I avoid them. I, you know, <laughs> minimize my expressiveness so they can't judge me. And I'm not saying that that's a, a, a great way to live or that makes us feel good, but that's the origin of the story. And here's the thing about the stories and the frameworks. Human beings love one thing for sure. Maybe above all else, at least in their kind of animal uh, nature, which is certainty, some sense of predictability, control. It's like, cause you know, life is just so, there's so many unknowns and we're born into this existence. And the one thing that we know is at any time we could die. Uh, it's a trip and it kind of messes with us. So we're like, okay, well, in the meantime, <laughs> let me get as much security and certainty as possible. Uh, some part of us, another part of us hungers for, you know, a bigger life for adventure, connection or love. But there's one part that wants that certainty. And there's many ways to get it. You know, you can get money in your bank account. You can get a stable job. You can have a house. You can try to control your environment. You can make it real clean. But one thing that gives us a sense of certainty almost more than anything external is our own story, identity, and beliefs because we carry that everywhere. Can't take that away. So I know, I know one thing. People don't like me. I know one thing is I'm undateable. I know one thing is that I can't succeed in this arena. And we hold on to it. And then we do this thing called the confirmation bias where we look for evidence that confirms our story 
so we can build a stronger case and a stronger sense of certainty. And sometimes when I'm working with clients on this and you got to go and start to probe in there and you bump up against some of their stories and they'll like fight for them. And I used to, you know, spend a lot of time learning all these cognitive therapy techniques to try to shift the story. And now what I found is so much more effective is just the, the power of awareness. So I'll, I'll highlight it. I'll say, okay, here's this story. Do you think that story ultimately, I know it feels really true. Where is it steering in your life? Does it feel like it's bringing value to your life or, you know, taking value? And they'll say, oh, it feels terrible. It's taking value. Okay. Um, let me ask you a question. What does it give you? Why? why would you guess that you're fighting to defend it? And it has them pause and start to look and say, I, well, you know, they discover because without it, I'm scared. Without it, it feels uncertain. It feels wide open. It feels like the ground is gone for my feet. And now I'm in the middle of the river. And I'm like, yeah, now we're alive because life is not static. Life is in the center of the river. You know, let's learn how to swim. I love that. And I think it's when you, cause you're breaking an identity, right? It's one of these things you've created. You've seen a pattern, the mind, we can call it the ego, inner critic. There's so many names to it, but it's, it's designed to pick out patterns and say, well, this is how life is. Look, look at the experience. And then once you see it, then all of a sudden you have that part of your brain that's going to start to look for that more because you put value on it. And it's like, well, maybe this is true. Maybe it's not. Then you start to see it and you build this identity. And then it, is it kind of like then all of a sudden you break the identity and now you're going to that world of uncertainty because this is like, I don't know who that person is because all I knew was this. Yeah, it's it's unknown. It's And, and I like to describe it as discovery because sometimes people are scared. Like, well, then what do I do? And how do I be? And how do what I, you know, I see this a lot with people that have had a, a nice identity, a people pleasing persona. Uh, they'll sometimes say like, I don't know how to be around people if I'm not doing that. And, and they feel anxious or unsettled. And I celebrate with them. I say, great. That means you get to discover, you get to discover who you really are. Who, who are you around people? What do you like to talk about? What's your sense of humor? What do you, you know, and some people discover, I remember one client I worked with, she was sort of, uh, it was delighted almost. She's like, I have strong opinions, you know, because for most of her life, she muted them and didn't want to say anything with conviction because it might upset somebody. And uh, my ideas are not worth anything and all these stories. And so through the work, she really shifted it. And there was this delight of like, I have strong opinions and, and who knows what else we get to discover. And the beauty is there, it's an endless process of discovery. It's not like who I am and who you are and who we are is like, oh, I figured it out and, you know, put it on a sheet of paper. It's this endless discovery. You know, what am I like today? What do I love? What, what's my new passion? What's the, what's the persisting uh, passion in my life that's been there since I was a baby and now it's growing and, and how is it evolving next? And when we have this willingness to take risks, that's when these passions and these experiences and these relationships can just start to expand and get better and better and steer in ways that, that we would never even know or anticipate. It's kind of this beautiful unfolding in our lives. I love that. I love how you bring up the word discovery because it's been it's been interesting that you bring this up in the last month with interviews and just some of my own episodes I've been doing. I, I talk about the mechanism of survival and how where we are when we get to our early adult life is basically the constructs of our way of surviving through uh, early teen, preteen, teenager years, even even early 20s. 
And then the problem is, is we keep that survival mechanism thinking this is life until we break out. And then all of a sudden, like, that's why I love the word discovery, because now you're going, I'm discovering who I really am or who I want to create myself to be. Mm. Mm, I love that. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it totally relates to what you're saying, because now when I think of it, it's like, because I always say you can create whoever you want yourself to be. There's universal laws that show that you can, you know, all these different things. And when you use that word, I'm a big person on words. So it's like when I heard discovery, I'm like, I love that word. That, that's really true. You're discovering who you really are or discovering who you really want to become in that aspect. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, that's a a gift and uh, it, there's challenges in it. And it's, I like to think of it as the call, you know, I think there's uh, the call, what do you want to call it? The call to adventure, the call to a life fully lived, but that's that beacon is always out there making some sound that's like, that's calling us. And, you know, we can deaden ourselves. We can avoid it. We can ignore the call, but if we do so for too long, we, we start to suffer and maybe we're in that survival mode you're talking about, and we got structures in our lives, and we're doing everything we're supposed to be doing, but we're we're empty inside, or we're aching, or we're hungry for something, and we don't know what. And I think it's that it's this call that's saying, "Hey, discover something new. What what's really there?" And there's so many things to discover. You know, how do I? And and all those things might be outside of the the stories and identities that you learned. You know, speaking of niceness, right? People that I work with, they discover, wait a minute, you know, maybe I, I'm really drawn to this thing that my parents thought was not worth my time. Maybe I really love art. Maybe I, maybe I, maybe I really want to, maybe I really disagree with something I learned growing up. And it sort of emerges, you know, week by week, month by month, moment by moment, but we only get to unlock it and experience it and feel the fulfillment of, of living a more authentic life when we have that willingness and courage to heed the call because otherwise we just you know we can just stay kind of contained and and keep our heads down i love that man you brought up some things about being versus doing when it comes to the the aspect of confidence and i'm just curious because when it comes to you you talked a lot about the doing part which i love and i just want to re go back to like that being part um what is the aspect of the beingness that you have to be when it comes to confidence? Because I, I don't know about you, but I know for me, sometimes I, I've gotten into the realm where I'm like, I'll do, 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 do. And then all of a sudden I'm like, I'm missing the boat on something here. And then I would realize, wait a minute, I got to be this person first. Then I can go ahead and do. And then all of a sudden the magic works. Um, is that very similar to confidence also? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the being is, is uh, the other half of the puzzle, right? So, uh, one simple way to think about being is how much can we be with our own experience and so much of confidence uh, or a lack of confidence, I would say, was, is living in our heads and trying to minimize and avoid our, our, our actual visceral, emotional, energetic experience of life. Let me go into my head, figure it all out, minimize all risk and just stay here. And when we really want to start to grow in our confidence, it's not just go out there and take that action. It's part of it, but it's also how can I expand my capacity to be? So I do this with clients a lot. It's like, okay, let's start with right now. uh, What can you, can you, are you aware of your body and how it feels in and around your body? Are you aware of emotion and, and how you feel emotion in you? You know, is there squeezing or tightness or holding or, how do we expand that? And then 
It's not just an awareness of it. It is a it is an ever growing capacity to be with feelings without needing to run away from them or go to our head to try to understand them and figure them out so we can get rid of them really quickly. Um, I have a little sign in my office that says "Think less, feel more," and it's such a simple reminder to just allow ourselves to feel. And this one sounds so simple. People are like, yeah, 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 okay, but then then what's the real thing? It's like, well, this, because if you think about this, we're afraid, you know, I'm afraid of what? I'm afraid of being judged. I'm afraid of losing my money. I'm afraid of not succeeding at that thing. Okay. Well, if you lose the money, if you get rejected, if you don't succeed at that thing, what happens then? Oh, well, you know, then I would lose love or then I'd be embarrassed or this. And if you follow the chain down, it's just a series of feelings. I would feel pain, emotional pain, typically, sometimes physical pain, we think, but usually it's emotional pain. And so uh, one of my teachers put it succinctly, which I love, is all of our fears are fears of feelings. And so if here I am, I'm just being in this moment, I'm not out there in the trenches confronting anything, I'm just being. And I imagine, you know, I do this all the time with a client, they're, they're, they're starting to date and they're like, oh my gosh, what if this person doesn't like me back? Ah, it's like, okay, let's go with that. Let's be right here right now. And let's say that that's, that is a potential reality, right? We, we don't know how it's going to go, but it could go that way. And then I say, let's feel that. And I'm like, ah, oh, I don't want to feel that. You can't go that way. Okay, I know you're going to do everything you can to make it go the way you want. But let's say that we're not in total control of the outcomes and everything in our lives. So what happens? And they'll start to feel a squeezing and a resistance and a fighting and a, you know, and we just expand and we soften. And I have a process I call the peace process that I guide them through. And um, one of my book websites, notnicebook.com, there's the audio version that you can get for free there. It's 20 minutes. And it just guides us to a place of allowing the feeling, allowing that that outcome might happen, and just accepting and letting go and surrendering. And when we can increase this capacity more and more over time, that capacity to just be and allow anything, this is in the realm of Pema Chodron, um, a Buddhist teacher, she, she describes it as unconditional confidence. And it's not like, well, I'm confident when I you know, make the sale or whatever, get the, get the thing. It's I'm confident because I can allow all feelings to arise and, and move through me. And I think that's a huge component of a really rooted, stable sense of confidence. I couldn't agree more with you on that one. I wrote a book called The Walk in the Dark, and I talk a lot about how we are afraid of it. And I don't mean darkness. Darkness could be a challenge, an obstacle, a pain. Usually it's more related to old pain. I talk about that part too and how where the root of it comes. And I talk about how, and you're, you're, you're sharing all this and I love it because it's like, yes, how about the pain, you know, the, the, the uncomfortableness, the, the being of just sitting and feeling it, right? And going through that. And I always talk about it. If you can do that more often, you know, it's like the statement, the, the, the quote that goes, uh, the more you can get comfortable being uncomfortable is the moment you can transform your life. Um, mm-hmm. And you can achieve more of what you want, more freedom or joy or whatever it may be, uh, because then you don't let those things consume you. Uh, and I'm assuming based on what you're saying, too, that it's the same thing in confidence is understanding, you know, having that feeling, especially in a an intellectual world we live in now in a a technologically driven, very information era. Um, We're making it harder for us to connect to that feeling part uh, because we're so much putting, building up the muscle of the intellect that we're kind of forgetting the, the, the feeling or the heart center aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, there's the, there's the body 
then there's the heart and emotion and then there's the mind and you're right i think where there's a there's a tilting and a, and an uh pref- preferring and and overvaluing the mind and also we have um you know with our our phones we have the capacity to plug into that instantly repeatedly um and um almost uh, there was in the social network one of the people they're interviewing called it a digital pacifier and i laughed when i heard that i was like it kind of is you know like and it's even micro things like, you know, I, you'll see this often. I'll notice this in myself. You're on a, on a date, you know, my wife and I are having a lunch together or something. And then the other person gets up to go to the bathroom and there's this kind of moment. Grab the phone, look at the phone. What am I doing on my phone? I don't know. Why am I doing that? You know, it, I think that there's this really subtle stuff. Like you're with someone, you're connecting, they get up to go to the bathroom. It's just a few moments, but there's this little bit of separation there. It's not huge. It's not devastating, but it's just a change in the temperature, the emotion The you know, there's a little bit, maybe you could feel a bit more yourself and what's going on for you now that they're gone for a minute. You know, maybe you desire something, maybe you're, who knows, but in that space, setting the language to breathe, what's going on? We just boom, fill it, fill it, fill it. And I think that that over time weakens our capacity to feel. And therefore, you know, as you just said, you know, kind of weakens our capacity to be uncomfortable. And yet we all have heard this, you know, life begins outside your comfort zone. If you want to get something, you got to go outside your comfort zone. We all heard that. Well, by definition, going outside your, your, your comfort zone is going to be discomfort or uncomfortable. And so truly, if you want to think about a skill, and I call this in one of my books, I call this discomfort tolerance, right? If you truly want to master a certain skill, that one might be a, a life-changing one. Because if you can, if you're willingly able to get uncomfortable, if you can lean into discomfort on purpose repeatedly, then you can achieve you know, anything that you want in any arena of your life. I love the way you say that. And I think that's a, that's a huge confident booster, if you ask me. Um, because as you build that up, that's something I, I took on early on. And I was just like, well, I'm just going to be me. And I'm going to go through the, 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 ro- the ups and downs of allowing myself just to be me. And I had to really build up this confidence. And then you go through this, you know, once I had my first uh, opposition where, you know, let's say there's a, a narrative being said, and I'm in the science world and I'm looking going, hold up, that doesn't make sense because of blah, 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 blah. Normally it's like, ah, oh, don't ruffle the feathers, just continue to what you do. And, uh, you know, it's been 10 years in the making and now like we have COVID here. And it's one of the things where I look at things and I'm going, hold up, this doesn't add up here. Or this doesn't add up there. And, and some of my mentors are like, don't, 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 don't play with that. Let it be. Just continue focusing on what you're doing. It could hurt your business. It can hurt this. And I'm just like, hold up, forget all that. Let, this is what I, I want to share and help people think critically so mm. that we can analyze things from a science mind and just look at all pictures. And it's amazing how much people resist that uh, or fight that even when I'm, I understand where they're coming from. But it was also for me an experiment to be like, how much can I take? How much can I understand? I'm not being mean. It doesn't change who I am. I don't have to please. If someone gets upset, that may not be my issue. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I always check myself from a communication side, be like, okay, am I, it's like Tony Robbins says, if you say something and the person's reaction is not what you expected, you have to change your communication, right? And I love that, but it's the same token. It's building up that confidence to be able to break out of that Mr. Niceness and just be like, here's where it is. And that's just, you know, and, and come from that, that different place. Yeah. And I think I, I really appreciate what you're bringing up here because I think that's a, that's a personal choice that we're all making daily, which is 
you know, uh, conformity on one end of the spectrum and then expressiveness and authenticity on the other end of the spectrum. And, you know, there is a strong current, a strong cultural field, a pressure to go towards the conformity. Don't speak up, don't stand out, don't, don't draw attention to yourself. And, you know, that might be kind of generationally ingrained from much of human history and many societies. If you were to stand out and speak up and be different, you, you could be killed. You could be imprisoned, you know, so there's, and many, you know, many places in the world that, that can still happen in different nations, depending on where someone is. So there's that, there's that, uh, you know, uh, history there and that perception. And there are, there's a big gray area though, where speaking up is not life-threatening. And the worst you're going to experience is maybe someone's upset with you. Maybe someone doesn't like something. Maybe someone says, I think that's wrong and you should go back to the norm. And that's where we all have that choice each day to be like, okay, am I going to automatically default submit to the cultural field without even questioning it? Or am I going to lean into that discomfort and, you know, in the service of what though, it's not just pointless discomfort. It is in the service of something greater. It's a service in my own authentic expressiveness in speaking what feels true to me and maybe even contributing to others, you know, think about people who are courageous, who broke through a cultural norm, like, Martin Luther King Jr., right? Who's like, hey, we're going to shift this so it can contribute to others. And then it's a question of, well, how much do I, how much do I want to do that in my life? And what I'm hearing in you, and I resonate with that, is like, well, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do it as much as I can. Because to me, being real is more important than being liked and being you know, completely in conformity with the, the dominant way of being. Amen, brother. I couldn't say it any better than you did. <laughs> no, I agree. And it's one of the things where like, you know, it's, it's, uh, uh, I'm a seeker of truth in life. And it's just one of those things where uh, it's funny too, because when, you, when this all started last year, and, and this is just one example, but it's a good example to share. Um, I remember my wife was like, you know, she would see some of the comments on Facebook or something like that. And she's like, I can't tolerate seeing that. They're like, that gets me anxious. And I'm like, that's fine. It's, it's all part of the process. And she's like, I don't know how you deal with that. Like some people are calling your names. I'm like, that's fine. That's, that's their, that the, what they, and I always tell them like, this is a learning experience for me for everything that I've learned and all that I've been working on mindset, mindfulness, neurology, neuroscience, quantum, all this stuff I've been studying. I have an opportunity now where I can look and see how my, how true is that? And so when I say, if someone comes at me in that way, I'm either triggering something in them or that's how they treat themselves. And it's an example of that. And it just gives me insight and then I can learn from that and I can grow and evolve and be better. But then it also teaches me how to communicate in a different realm. But I know that here comes that niceness in me, right? Communicate in a different realm. But then there's also some people, you're just not going to, you, you can be yourself and you're still going to irritate them or aggravate them regardless. And I, it took me a long time to build the confidence to say, let's just what it is what it is. I'm trying my best, but I'm not at that level to be able to communicate in a certain way where I can, where you can see eye to eye and stuff like that. But it's just, uh, it's all, you know, all learning experience. Yeah. I, I think that's so powerful. That's, that's a huge shift when we can perceive someone's upset differently than they're upset. I'm bad. Oh no. And that's like kind of this default programming. It's almost like we're little kids and we're in trouble. And that can be this knee jerk reactionary pattern that when we, that when, and many people will never challenge that they'll just try to minimize all conflict and all upset. And so they, they have that their whole lives. And then that's where you have like the grandma who's like, no, 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 don't, 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 don't upset him. Don't speak up, you know? And so there's this whole life lived 
uh, of you know, frankly, missed opportunity to to really grow and become the full powerful being that they're, they're meant to be. And when that shift occurs, you can start to see, wait a minute, I'm not responsible. Like it's someone's upset doesn't mean that I'm bad or something's horribly wrong. What it means that there's some it it cha- challenge some idea of good or bad or right or wrong that they have. And Yes, you can look at updating your communication. I think that's a useful guidepost, but everything's on a spectrum. So you can, you know, if someone's communication is really poor and abrupt and aggressive and narcissistic, sure, they could improve it and get in the gray zone and the middle zone and it's better. But, you know, if you take that too, too far up the spectrum and now all of a sudden you're sacrificing the ability just to say, this is what I see, this is what I think. And, and we're in this like hyper... Uh, protective, let's make sure no one feels uncomfortable way of communicating that is that is in many ways just as restrictive and counterproductive as the uh, extreme, uh, maybe direct or harsh way of speaking. So we want to find that middle ground. And then once you have that middle ground, like, hey, I'm not attacking anybody. I'm not being, you know, calling people names. And, and I'm just saying, this is what I perceive. I'm going to put it out there. And then yeah, some people are going to like it. Some people are going to say that's wrong. Some people are going to dislike the idea. Some people are going to dislike the messenger. And they're going to, this messenger is an idiot. And, and here's the thing, man, conformity in that cultural field, that's like a hive of bees. You poke that thing and people's identities, their realities, you're challenging their reality. And as we talked about people in the over um, emphasis on the mind and intellect in our culture, you're challenging their intellectual perception of the world. That's all they got. You know, they're, they're going to come out strongly. It's like, and you know, you take this far enough and people feel like they have to defeat or crush or kill the, the opponent. So I feel like seeing that is actually really liberating because then you can say, wow, you know, do I want to accommodate other people's sort of being really deeply in the matrix? Or, you know, think about like a dream. Do I really want to accommodate every dream character or can I just move about how I want? And they're going to react in a variety of different ways. And when we do that, life really starts to free up. And, um, and again, I'm going to highlight, you know, by doing that, it's not just about you, you know, when you're communicating clearly, uh, Dr. Vic and elsewhere, it's, it's contributing to others because other people, some people hate it, but other people benefit from it. And so I always think it's worth it, you know, because yes, you know, 10% of people are going to hate this book or hate this post or whatever, but then, you know, 90% of people are going to get something useful out of it. So it's worth it. So true in so many ways, man. I love it. We can do a whole nother episode just on just talking what we just, you just shared right there. Um, but uh, before we wrap up, I just want to um, really quick, give an opportunity with all that you're doing, how can people follow you, see what you're up to and all that good stuff. Yeah, great. The easiest place is going to go to uh, my, my main website, draziz.com. That's D-R-A-Z-I-Z.com. You can uh, get my ebook there for free. It's called Five Steps to Unleash Your Inner Confidence, as well as find out about my YouTube channel and my podcast, uh, which we, <laughs> we're definitely going to have to talk offline after this, Dr. Vic. I think you'd be a phenomenal guest for that show just based upon your growth and everything you're doing. So that, that's a great podcast. A lot of free resources. And then, um, you know, I have uh, virtual events and online things I do all on the website. So if someone's looking to grow in confidence, that is a phenomenal place to start. 
And for all the listeners, I will have that in the show notes for you guys to get access to. Uh, Dr. Aziz, I knew this was going to be a good one, and man, was it. I appreciate you taking time and sharing space to share this wonderful message and all you're doing to the listeners and with me to let me pick your brain a little bit. I had fun, and I hope you did too. And uh, again, I appreciate all that you're doing. My pleasure. Thanks, Dr. Vic. Thank you for listening to the podcast. For past shows, please visit www.empoweryourreality.com. I hope this show inspired you and added to your life to help you on the journey to rediscover who you really are. To connect with us on Facebook, please visit www.facebook.com forward slash Dr. Vic Manzo. Check us out on Twitter. The handle is Dr. Vic 21. Follow us on Instagram, www.instagram.com forward slash Dr. Vic Manzo. If you were inspired by the podcast, pay it forward by sharing it with someone who you know can benefit from it. Thank you again for listening to the Mindful Experiment podcast, sharing paths to help you rediscover your infinite potential. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Thanks for tuning into the podcast. If you found this episode to be inspirational, pay it forward by sharing it with someone that you know can benefit from this. If this is your first time tuning in, please follow us, connect with us, so you don't miss another amazing episode. And until next time, keep rocking and rolling.